Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, well, let's get this going. <clears throat> yeah, um, let's, let's roll. Who wants to live forever? That's right, not me. Well, actually, I do. Uh, okay. <clears throat> well, everyone, it's me and Keith again. Uh, we're back. It's the Trash Sheep. It's been a while. Howdy, howdy, movie lovers. We're broadcasting live from the dystopian future of the United States. Yeah, a lot of stuff has happened. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened since... We've been here last. Um, we don't need to get into it. I think everyone knows what's going on. No, I just want to say real quick, the saddest part about living in the future is that all of the movies we grew up watching that were so fantastical and and so imaginative now seem pretty like dull and like just banal. Yeah. Also, you know, you always, when you were a kid watching those dystopian movies, you're like, oh, that'd be cool. I want to ride around in the wasteland in this disease ridden, you know, hellscape. It's not so cool anymore. No, no, there's no music. There's no lasers. No. Mel Gibson isn't here. Mel Gibson? He's in all, he's in some of those. You watched Fat Man, didn't you? Yes, I did. Ugh. It was really, it was really good. <laughs> now, for for people listening who are not familiar with this movie, yeah, explain to them what Fat Man is. Fat Man is a new movie starring Mel Gibson as Santa Claus, and a little kid who's naughty gets coal, takes out a hit, you know, pays a hitman to kill Santa Claus. Now, this sounds like a truly atrocious movie. On all, no matter where you uh, look at it, you know, like, like, is this going to be a good satire? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Like, no, it's not going to be good at all. Watched it on Christmas because I was like, me and Francis were like, oh, this will obviously be bad. We'll just watch it for fun. And then it actually turned out to be pretty good. So, and when you say Francis, you mean your your millionaire rival. Slash rich kid who just wants your bicycle. Yes, that Francis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. You've, not... <laughs> put, you've put aside your differences and now you're now watching movies together. Yeah, not the Francis who I live with, been in a relationship with, who's been on this show. Completely different Francis. Yes. Uh, yeah, we watched the, we, me and the me and the Francis Buxton watched it together and we both really enjoyed it. Buxton, what? Yeah. How apropos for someone yeah. who lusts for for money and power. What an it's appropriate almost, name. It's almost like it was. Planned. predetermined <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah so we've it's been a while uh i don't think i'll be watching fat man ah man okay you don't have to but trust it's one of those ones where I, I know no one's gonna trust me on it but it's surprisingly a good movie well i did watch that back many years ago in the before time i watched that movie uh the beaver oh that's awful where he uh mel gibson gets a a beaver puppet for a hand in order to save his family. Yeah, not not a good movie. No, not great. It it's another like you hear all these incredible setups and premises. Uh, is that the right way to say it? Premises that, or premises. I, or, that, I think, or that am I thinking of premises? Is that multiple? I think it's premises. I think it's just premises. Either premises way. also sounds like the like the subtitle to a sequel to like a bad '90s sci-fi movie, like. 
like Highlander three, the premises. Yes, or antigen <laughs> premises. You know, <laughs> antigen two premises. Premises awakening. Yeah. Um, this one was good. I you know I I don't, don't want to go too far into it, but it it balanced a line between being uh, satire and serious that I think is kind of difficult to do. Uh, one thing it did that like you know a lot of the Santa Claus movies that are supposed to take place in the real world, you know, like where everyone goes like there's no Santa Claus. Santa Claus isn't real. You either have two different types of Santa Claus movies where it's just complete fantasy. You know, it's like the you know Santa's Wonderland type you know claymation movies, or it's the Santa Claus or Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street or Elf, where everyone's like. Well, Santa Claus isn't real. And even when I was a little kid watching these movies and adults were saying Santa Claus wasn't real, I was like, if Santa Claus is real in this movie, adults should be the, the people who inherently know that Santa is real. It should be the kids doubting it and the and the adults having to confirm them because adults would be like, where did these presents come from? I didn't put them there. Yeah, they, they, they have nothing to gain by not... Uh, adhering to the greatest conspiracy ever known to man. Right. So it always that that always I always found that to be a giant hole in, in the plot, even as a child. In this movie, it's the same thing, Santa in the real world, but it's just accepted that Santa is real. Like everyone knows that Santa is real. I can just picture you sitting on the floor with like the TV light shining on your face, wearing like onesie pajamas, just just gaping and like. And scowling at movies, going that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of. What I, <laughs> I was totally accepting of some other ludicrous stuff, but that was just like, nope, doesn't add up. <laughs> doesn't add up. Why is Judge Reinhold saying that Santa Claus isn't real? I mean, clearly he would know. One of the great actors of his generation, and you can't buy into what he's saying. I can't believe it. Well, he just didn't sell it for me. Okay, well, we got we got we're talking about a couple movies that I don't know why we're talking about them today, um, Highlander and Highlander Two. But before we get into that, is there anything you've seen, Keith? Anything you want to bring up before we get into the meat of this? Yeah, I don't have uh, too much to say. I've watched a lot of movies uh, in between Halloween of last year and and today. The year is yeah. twenty twenty one, by the way. Yeah, uh, incredible year already by any measure. You know, uh, it's almost like the year changing didn't make things better. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, the, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, those calendars are bogus. They don't yeah. seem to do what the, they're supposed to. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've watched a, a handful of movies. I actually was able to catch up on some movies that I've been meaning to see, but... Um, uh, I know uh, we made a few last-minute Halloween recommendations, but I just want to reiterate that the Mortuary Collection and oh, yeah, Scare Me, me that was good. Uh, are both really great Halloween movies, so put those in your little pocket where, for next where, year. Where can you find those, Keith? Uh, those are both available to stream right now on Shudder. Hear that, Shudder? We keep plugging you. Download in the App Store. Available for Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Apple TV... And stream online from the website. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I've seen a bunch of stuff too since then. Uh, some really good, some really bad. Did you ever Probably... see the Lords of Salem? I watched 
part of it and I found it to be really boring and I shut it off. It's a hell of a thing to sit through. And if it, you make it to all the way to the end, yeah. It's like it's like that scene in Predator where Arnold Schwarzenegger is on the helicopter at the very mm-hmm. end and uh he looks like he's been through hell. Yeah. That's the same face that I made after sitting through that movie, which is, again, and I say this after every single Rob Zombie movie I watch, it's too bad because he always, he always is close. And then it's like he makes a wrong turn and just goes sailing off into, into like the third level of hell. I would say with him, it's, he's, it's not just one wrong turn. And it's maybe not even close. It's sometimes like coasting at a distance where you can see a potential. I really dislike his movies. Uh, and there is like a, a, there's a morbid part of me that wants to force myself to watch Lords of Salem just because I've heard about the, the endings kind of like what you said, like just kind of like, oh, like I got through all this and this is that, you know. So I just kind of want to see the whole thing for myself. But I put his movies on sometimes and – when they come out, I'm just like, uh, I can't do this. Uh, it, it's really hard to get through, but not in the same way. <clears throat> not in the same way that Halloween is difficult to get through, or even um, what's that? Uh, Thirty one. Yeah, I started. I put. I started Thirty one. I got about five minutes into it. I think Thirty one has a real, real juicy opening. I, I don't remember I don't remember much except really just disliking it. I can't it's remember just the, the crazy man talking into the camera. Oh right, there's that, and then there's uh, uh, then there's a they're just like on like a what is it? like they're driving around in a trailer or a motorhome or something, right? I don't know. See, I don't remember anything beyond that. It's just that. a bunch. Of, it's just a bunch. After that, it's just more like Rob Zombie Hillillies for just ranting for yeah, and I'm just like okay, no. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, th- yeah. There's always, like you said, there are sometimes there's good ideas or good things in it, but just it just so radically misses the mark. And if you read, if you read me the premise of Lords of Salem, I was like, oh, that sounds like a good movie. Yeah. But then you start watching it, and all the things, uh, so many of the things that I hate about movies are. <laughs> embodied in his movies sound and visuals yes and and dialogue and it's also just kind of like you know like what his movies are made by like he can't remove himself at all no from his movie so every one of his characters has to be you know it's like if a goth kid was like you know like writes their fanboy goth fiction and all the characters are goth yeah you know, and it's like this is all not this is this this is no this is not how the real world like it's a planet of the goths and everyone's a goth and in this goth world Freddy Cougar comes and it's like why would Freddy Cougar be invading the planet of the goths? It's it's he's the perfect product of uh, a generation that grew up watching auteurs, right? Right, especially like Tim Burton, who is yeah. obviously famous for putting himself into just about every movie in right. some form or fashion. But at least in, you know, at least in Tim Burton's, you know, cases, and, you know, he, you know, he, he he's kind of one of those directors who have over time is just kind of like, okay, we've had, had a kind of, of enough of you. At least he's creating like completely like fantasy worlds. Yes. Where 
the the assumption is in Rob Zombie movies that the, all this is taking place in the real world. It's just weird stuff happening in the real world. Where like you watch Edward Sitterhands, and no, and no time do you think this is ever supposed to be anything other than make believe fairy tale. You know, the everything is. Yeah, this is like an alternate everything. reality. Exactly. You know. Uh yeah. Except for um, Beetlejuice, which was a documentary. That was a documentary. Man, that's a crazy movie like reading reading about like the history of before that movie got made oh yeah i can't believe it's it's amazing to think that so many movies kicked around for about 10 years between when they were a fresh idea and then when they they were actually released and somehow after all that time based on execution the idea still stayed fresh well it not only stayed fresh but like the i the concept of like the original beetlejuice where it's it's like it was a straight up horror movie. Beetlejuice was a tiny was as a ghost, but he was also portrayed as like a like a miniature man from the Middle East, you know, and all this stuff. Yeah. And the fact that it like morphed into this comedy with with like a used car salesman ghost. Normally, when movies do, all differ like so much from the original script, it just becomes a weird amalgamation of five different things that don't fit together. And this and this one actually totally works. So yeah, it's bizarre. But uh, yeah, um, let's see. I saw last night. Oh, a movie you turned me on. I don't know if you actually watched it or if you were just like, "Hey, check out this trailer." But I watched Sputnik last night. Oh, no spoilers, pal. I haven't. No, I haven't seen that one yet. Okay, you haven't watched it. Okay, it it's was a good. great trailer though. It's a great trailer. Um, it's. I will definitely recommend watching it to you. I will say that the last, the final act, kind of was a letdown to me, but. Still think it was a good movie. Still think it was worth watching. And the first two thirds I thought were really, really great. It can't be any worse than Underwater. Oh, my God. It's so much better than Underwater. I want... Wait, you liked Underwater. You're saying it can't be even worse. You were texting me saying how much you liked it. You know, I enjoyed it for what it was, but I will be the first to admit it's not great. It just... It had it had a few things when I watched it that I enjoyed and I was fine with it, but... Yeah, overall, it's uh, it's, it's definitely not, a miss. It's not boring, but it is. It's, I don't. It's one of those movies that I didn't feel compelled to turn off because it was not boring. But I no, it's not just... offensively bad, but it's also it shows flourishes of of potential and what it could have been. And it's also such a great looking movie. Oh, like the production the pro- design is predominantly really good. Yeah, except for the the bathroom in the opening scene, I didn't like care for that. <laughs> what was it about the bathroom that bothered you? Because I was like, is it? It's it's it, 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 that that bathroom locker room doesn't fit with the rest of the. It seems like that's an above ground bathroom. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I actually agree with you. I the entire time I was like, oh this this bathroom is a uh, dream bathroom. There's right. no actual bathroom that looks like this, and she's gonna wake up from a nightmare, and right. it's gonna be this whole like traumatic flashback, right? Or whatever. And then it, because the bathroom is bigger than the entire rest of the underwater uh, <laughs> structure. It's also absurdly roomy in a structure that is, by design, has to use space as efficiently right. as possible. I also had like just weird like things like, why is the sink tiled and not just stainless steel? You know, stuff like that. I mean, yeah, this might seem like minor... Uh, minor complaints but it really took me out of it but it really is it's so distracting that it it doesn't seem it it it, i really was waiting for it to be a dream sequence or some kind of like 
something else. But it, then Which, it wasn't. And then the movie just kicks into gear, which is kind of a good thing, but also kind of a bad thing. Right. And like you said, like the, the rest of the movie, the production design is really good. So it, that, that just highlights how out of place it is even more. Yeah. Okay. Well, enough of that. We're talking about Highlander today. Well, before we get to Uh-oh. Highlander, I just want to shout out uh, the art of self-defense, which is oh yeah, you mentioned that yeah, it came out in uh, 2019 with uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, it's sort of a riff on Karate Kid, I guess, but it's also one of the the one of the more inventive and exciting movies that I've seen in a while because based on how it looks in the presentation, I 100% expected it to kind of go by the numbers as mm-hmm. far as a like uh, uh like a, an adult man uh besmirched by, you know, bullies and things like that learning karate. Uh you kind of f- have a feeling of where it's going to go, but you really don't you really don't know, and it's okay. got a, it's a very satisfying uh, watch. That's for sure. That that gives me uh, uh, I want to intrigue now because uh, when you mentioned how good it was, I don't think I said, but one day I was just kind of like flipping through stuff, trying to find something to watch, and I was just kind of starting things for five minutes, and if they didn't immediately grab my attention, <laughs> I was just going on to the next thing, and I stopped on that, and basically just kind of what you said, the way it looked, I kind of made an assumption just like the even the production design the 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 tone the you know the, the slow paces i made an assumption of where this movie was going and i said like i've seen this movie before yep and it doesn't look and and i'm this looks like a knockoff of that like and it's it's sometimes fine to watch something familiar that you've seen before not everything has to be new and fresh and predictable can be okay sometimes um but uh it certainly wasn't working for me in that moment. So like I said, I didn't really give it a shot. I watched like three to four minutes and I was just like on to the next thing because I wasn't really trying to watch something. I wasn't really trying to like get invested in anything at that moment. I was just trying to watch something to pass the time. Oh yeah, something breezy. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I had the same, the same preconceived notion, but it really, and I don't want to pump it up too much because obviously you set those expectations and it may not quite pay out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think also exactly lately like that, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think lately too, I've just been giving too many movies the benefit of the doubt. You know, when you start them, and it's like oh, I'm not really feeling this, but like let's just see where it's going. And then I've se- I've seen where it's going. And I'm like ah, I just should have shut this off. <laughs> it took me nearly th- th- three years to watch Hardcore Henry finally. I have not. I have not watched that. I kind of want. I do want to see. It. I've always been kind of. I'm more interested in it in terms of a. I mean, obviously, it's a gimmick movie. It is, and, and that's I, from purely from a execution standpoint. It's fascinating that this is an entire ass movie in the first person, and it really points out everything important about films and filmmaking and shot selection and establishing locations and characters and all of these things. But as, as like purely an exercise of what you can do with an entire movie from the first person, it's really fascinating to watch. Does it, does it work? I'd say no, but the fact that it exists is 
is definitely worthwhile. That's kind of how I felt about like my interest in watching. I don't really care if it's a good movie or not. I'm just more interested in how it was executed. And I mean, that's kind of like a... It's it's a ride. It's like being at Universal Studios and they're like, here, try our new ride. I mean, a totally different type of movie, but my kind of same interest and approach is there's that new David Fincher movie, Mank, about the screenwriter of Citizen Kane, which I only became really interested in that movie when I heard about how he filmed it. And like, oh, now I kind of want to see it. Right. To watch the the technical technique much more than I... I mean, I was I would probably would have watched it eventually anyway. Like, I like David Fincher for the most part. Uh, but more so than I'm interested in a movie about the screenwriter of Citizen Kane, I was interested in, like, the technique in which he shot the film. Yeah, the same way that we were all just perplexed by the audacity of James Cameron to actually travel back in time and film the Titanic as a documentary. Oh, absolutely. It, like, it was just something we all had to witness for ourselves. Is it a great movie? No, but I mean, just the uh, the accomplishment of like, inventing time travel. I mean, in Terminator, he only kind of, he faked it. We all know he faked right. it. They right, were just, they were just um, workshopping it at that point. Yeah, it was just like, oh, sure, it's time travel. We all know it's just like, you know, you, 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 you smoke in mirrors, you put up a mirror here, had two... You know, two time zones at the same time. We know how that works. Without to actually, you know, go back to what like eighty years in time. Impressive. It's very impressive, and and good on those lovely folks to um, share their stories. And uh, a big thanks to uh, what's his name, Bill Paxton. Yeah, big thanks to Bill Paxton for uh, playing along with everybody. Yeah, and, it, and you know, as far as we can tell, like, there was no ripples in the timeline. He didn't, you know, c- cause any splinter universes or anything, so he was apparently pretty careful. And I'm starting to wonder at this point if maybe he didn't <laughs> didn't step on a few fish and, uh, you know, accidentally... Um, that explains all the th- these, these different Terminator sequels. Yeah, it, it explains more than a few things. I yeah. I don't want to get into Terminator, honestly. No, we're not going to do that. Terminator Genesis is the best in the series. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Let's here's get to let's get to the meat on the bone. Let's. Well, here's what's why are happen, we here? Here's this. Here's what's going to happen, Keith. I'm flipping the script the same way Highlander Two flips the script on Highlander One. Normally, you leave to go to the bathroom. I am leaving to go to the bathroom, and when I get back, we're going to talk about Highlander. All right. Well. All right. You're in for it now, pal. <laughs> All right, I think the coast is clear since Elliot is gone. Can you believe this this guy? He wants to talk about Highlander 2 The Quickening, easily the worst movie that anyone has ever seen. And the only real reason is he has this weird unhealthy fixation on Sean Connery, and not just Sean Connery, Sean Connery with a ponytail pretending to be a Spaniard with a Scottish accent, who's actually Egyptian. It's very unhealthy, and honestly, I've tried to talk to him about it. His parents, his other family members, his significant other, everyone has tried to address this with him, and he just won't let it go. It's been going on for over a decade, and it's really starting to get out of hand. It's interfering, interfering with his work, with his social life. It's damaging relationships. I mean, he can't keep a pet he can't keep his bank account open. 
He's just buying Sean Connery keepsakes and memorabilia, locks of hair. The, the ball of hair that he has of Sean Connery's hair from Highlander 2, The Quickening, is the size of a hamster at this point. It's alarming. So if any of you would like to reach out and help him, reach out via email, uh, Instagram, uh, FedEx, Telex, singing Telegram, however you can communicate, please let him know that it's time to give up on Sean Connery's hairball. I think I just heard the toilet flush, so we're going to get back to it, but please just think about what I've said and see if you can give him a hand and help him in this very difficult time. Also consider, if you were an immortal, if you were like one of the Highlander guys, what would your outfit be, right? Because Connor McCloud, he's like, hey, I'm a modern guy wearing sneakers and like a members-only jacket, but I got a samurai sword. But what would your, your outfit be? Think about it and let us know. All right, I'm back, baby. Okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom now. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. I don't know what Keith told you when I was gone. I know he's probably wants revenge for all the things I've said about him when he's going to the bathroom, but he's probably lying. I don't know if you can hear it. I can hear Keith Peen in the background. So if I can hear it, you can probably hear it too. I'm assuming... He's peeing with the door open. I know he just moved into a new apartment. Uh, but he doesn't have any roommates anymore, so he's probably just, you know, doing whatever he does. There's a toilet flush. I hear water running now. I'm, sh- you know, uh, whatever. He, but back to what I was saying, whatever Keith told you about me is most likely untrue. Um, you know, I've come under fire a lot recently for things people have read on the internet. But that's mostly perpetrated by Keith himself. So I don't know what to tell you guys. And here he comes. Okay, everyone shut up. All right, give it just a second so the toilet stops hissing. Oh, we could hear it all. Heard every note. I will say, in in my lifetime, uh, the the biggest signal that I'm getting older is that there's nothing more satisfying to me than a clean toilet. Oh my god, yeah, right? It's the best. Yeah. When you're just like, oh, there's no scum in there. Yeah, it's just pristine white mm-hmm. and sparkling and it smells great and there's no dust or hairs or uh there's no grime around the like the caulk seal oh, yeah. and everything. Oh man. Yeah. Even like a a brand new toilet when you open up the tank and it's just there's no calcium buildup or like oh right yeah lime or rust or any of that stuff. Oh, I'm actually looking around, you know, the living room of my apartment right now, and I'm seeing some dust on the entertainment stand, and it is driving me nuts. I'm not happy about it. I'm less worried about dust because it's so easy to just casually. True. I'm just clean. saying, right? But I'm right. I'm saying right now at this moment, I'm just sitting here talking to you, not cleaning it. So I'm just looking at it and being like, oh. It's, it's it's like it's taunting me. Yeah, taunting. It's saying me. like it's saying like at least for the next however many minutes, I'm gonna be here and you're gonna be there, and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it, Elliot. Well, maybe if you didn't have such a massive ball of Sean Connery's hair from 
Highlander 2 The Quickening, you wouldn't be collecting so much dust. I know. It's just like that's one of my keepsakes. Anyway, there we go. Highlander. So we're going to talk about two Who movies. Who wants to live forever? Um, I, I, I honestly think I wouldn't mind. You know, you could also just off yourself if things got out of control. So. It's true. There's a million ways to die mm-hmm. when all you need to do is cut off your own head. That's right. So we're going to talk about Highlander 1 and Highlander 2. And, you know, obviously normally on this show we talk about underrated movies, the movies we feel are underrated, movies that were panned but served a second chance. But I kind of feel like Highlander is perfectly rated where it is, but... Yeah, it gets exactly what it deserves. You know, yeah, the movie is not a flawed masterpiece. It's an exceptional schlock. It's a great B-movie. Um, it's received cult status. It's, you know, everyone kind of at least enjoys it. But it's impossible to talk about Highlander 2, I think, or without first talking about Highlander 1. You need to talk about them together. It's true, because especially since the... The second film is the pet project of everyone from the first film. Right. They have no one to blame but themselves. That is 100% true. So let's get started. So my favorite part, can I just read this before we even talk about plots and stories and anything? This is my, my favorite piece of business. Highlander 2, this is skipping ahead, but... Highlander 2 was shot almost entirely in Argentina after the country's economy crashed. As the local economies experienced hyperinflation, the film's investors and completion bond company, so the insurance company that guarantees of of film production, took direct control of the production and final edit, removing director Russell Mulcahy and his creative influence while changing parts of the story. An insurance company was (laughs) like... We don't like the creative direction of this project. We're taking over. And it's like, it's like, okay, let's 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 get let's get a bill in the reception to to, to yeah. edit this movie. Yeah, uh, Sarah from HR has a few notes for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which you know that's true, but in, you know they're also then they they got to go back later on and do the renegade cut and then the. And it still didn't quite come together. No, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like, we can can watch what the original vision is, so we can judge it. We can judge it based on the direct the directors and screenwriters and actors. We can we can give it a fair shake. It's not like it's not like those movies where, you know, the filmmakers go like, well, no one ever got to see my original vision, so uh, that's why this movie is bad. And it's kind of like, is it? Is that the only reason why this movie is bad? Because if any singular scene that I'm watching now was in the other movie, it doesn't matter how good the rest of the movie was, it's a bad movie, you know? Well, now also, is this really your original vision? Because I'm pretty sure that if this was 1990 and you were all like, you know, coked up out of your gourd talking about uh, Immortals and Zeist and the Earth Shield and all this nonsense, the for first director's cut i think came in at some kind of absurd like 489 minutes or some nonsense like that right so is the (laughs) are are these future cuts you know 15 years removed is that really your original vision or would your original vision have been something just as nutty as but they're not even that far removed the 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 renegade cut came out four years after 
the theatrical cut. And, oh, interesting. Yeah, that's and, not terribly. And that really, the only thing the 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 what the the cut after that, what is it called, the special edition cut? Yeah, the two thousand four. All that one really does. It's I don't think there's any uh, additional scenes or anything. I think they just kind of did some color correction. Yeah, then they glossed up some of the effects and right because it was yeah. like, oh, originally this was supposed to be the background was supposed to be this color, but the insurance company changed it to this. So they kind of just kind of fixed that stuff. So basically, allegedly, we're seeing like at least ninety five percent of what we were supposed to be seeing. But yeah. anyway. We're jumping ahead. Yeah, let's circle all the way back. To Highlander 1, 1985 or 6 or something. It was a uh, hell of a year. I was just a few years old, as I know same, you were. Same, yeah. Um, for those, I mean, I'm sure everyone kind of knows what this movie is, but we'll just do a quick little synopsis. I would love to know, though, if you walked around, because there was likely a time when you could walk around the streets in the 90s and say, hey, do you know what a Highlander is? And I think a lot of people would know, maybe maybe half. Yeah. Uh, but if you walked around now and so asked people what a Highland, like man on the street interviews, what's a Highlander? They would have no idea. And if you explain the concept to them, I'm sure they would laugh you right off the street. Or I think a lot of people know what a Highlander is just from the concept of there can be only one. It's kind of like, oh, you're just like the last man standing type of thing. It doesn't necessarily, not necessarily knowing what the plot of the movie is. You know? So you're you're positing that it's now part of the the zeit, zeitgeist. The le- yeah, the, that phrase. Not, that, not I, the zeist. Not the zeist. Zeitgeist. <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah, I think that phrase. There can be only one. I think that's that's kind of like a. Uh, People know that phrase maybe a little bit more than some people know the movie now. But and in defense of-, of the Highlander concept, I think it's pretty cool. Oh, and it's a great concept. E- even though I'm getting older and and much less in tune with what's cool and what's fresh and what's happening, the idea that time displaced warriors are walking around fearing their heads being chopped off and having to engage in in combat, uh, you know, on modern streets using ancient weapons is really interesting. Well, and that, yeah, that takes us to just kind of the basic premise of this movie for those who don't know. It's about a race of immortals, and the the mortals are just kind of born. You know, they could be born to mortal parents. But well, that's fi- what's great about the whole, the whole setup, right, is that there isn't a big explanation for it. It's... It's mystifying even to those who are immortal themselves. Yes. So, and- somehow they know the rules based on an oral tradition and information passed on to each other, but they don't know why or how or what. Yes and no. And I'm going to get to a portion of that later on. But these immortals, they walk around. They're, they think the only way they can be killed is by decapitation. If one immortal decapitates another immortal or... Just however their head comes off, something called the quickening happens, which is the energy from that immortal transfers out evenly between the other existing mortals. So the more immortals die, the stronger each individual immortal oh, gets. And they that's all an have... interesting detail that I wasn't aware of. Oh, really? Was that established by the TV show? No, that's in the movie. It's just kind of vague. Oh, it's uh, that's like when you know that that energy flux that you see in the first scene. You know that, like, that's the absorption of the power of the other immortals. So the, the stronger each one gets, and so the immortals have this 
drive to kill each other to absorb each other's power. And there is a prize, and they don't know what the prize is, but they know that once there's only one immortal left standing, they're going to win this uh, magical prize. Yes. Uh, so they, what do they call the, the – the, is it called the challenge or the game or something? The gathering. The gathering. So, they're, yeah, they're, they're all going to be driven to the same spot over time. To kill, kill, kill whoever's left to kill each other. Yeah, it's a magnetic so, pull between all of them. So the story follows primarily Connor McLeod. Of the Scott, clan McLeod. Of the clan McLeod. <laughs> Can't always, forget it. It's very always, important. How he always introduces himself. I'm Connor McLeod of the clan McLeod. An immortal Scotsman who has, tra- who has lived, what, he's like 700 years old. He's one of the younger immortals, actually. He is. Uh, and it follows him up to the present day, 1985. There's only a few mortals left. They're all meeting up to kill each other in New York City. Um, right after big... a World Wrestling, f- or not, it's not actually not the World Wrestling Federation, but right after a, a pro wrestling event uh, at, uh, I think, Madison Square Garden. Okay, this actually takes me to one of my favorite parts of the setup, and that's where there are strokes of genius in this movie. It's like the first like two minutes. <laughs> right, pretty much. The first two minutes are incredible. Uh, so this movie starts out with Connor McCloud at a wrestling match. And Feeling more alone around 20,000 people than anyone possibly could. Right. And at, right after the wrestling match, he encounters another immortal in the parking garage. They have a sword fight, blah, 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 blah. But what's great about this, normally I feel like the, the standard idea for like an immortal like this is he would be at the opera Yes, the symphony. You yeah, know, something classy and refined. And later, sort of... later, later on, he would impress someone with his violin skills. Right, because you know? yeah, you would you would assume that someone who's been alive this long would have a refined sense of style and culture and knowledge and talent. And but, but here is what... he is, blue collar as fuck. This is what's great about it is like this guy has been around for X amount of hundreds of years. You know what he's sick of? Beethoven. Yeah. He's sick of, you know, I used to work in a record store and people, you know, uh, guys in their like 50s and 60s would come in and buy a Led Zeppelin record. And I'm like, how are you buying this again? I know this isn't the first time you've owned it. It's on the radio all the time. And it's like, it's not that this music is bad. It's just like, I'm like half your age and I'm already sick of the, of this. I've already heard it too much. How can you still be listening to this over and over and over and over again? It makes complete sense that McCloud would be like, well, I'm into wrestling now. If this movie was made today, McCloud would be into Pokemon cards. He'd want to collect them all. That would be his thing. And everyone would be like, that's weird that this grown man is into Pokemon. Or and TikTok. Like, or TikTok, He would yeah. have a TikTok where he's like, hey, everybody, I'm going to behead this guy. Watch. Yeah. It's like, what's this new novelty? I'm tired of... How many times can I watch Macbeth? You know, <laughs> in in Highlander too, he gets so bored he decides to block out the sun for kicks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's great. You know, I mean, I, these are these. There are moments of like character moments like this, and I don't know if it was they did that because maybe it was a financial constraint. Like I was like, oh, this wrestling match is cheaper than the symphony they wanted to do it as symphony whatever the reason why it happened or if it was planned like this you know i thought there are these moments of brilliance throughout the film help me with the subtext and symbolism here too because i love wrestling but the idea that this movie about combat 
opens with a scene of contrived combat is there's got to be some like well, maybe, maybe uh, that's maybe that's the point you know it's like he knows real combat he's like you know how many heads i've cut off right just, so okay so yeah now he's tired of he's tired of of the real fighting and real violence and he's like loves the theatricality and the the fact that it's it's them uh you know simulating combat it's like it's like in those movies where like the the evil guy goes, you know, the criminal goes to a movie and is watching like a bank robbery and he's laughing. Oh, right. Oh, you know, it's like it's like that. Maybe I mm-hmm. don't know. But regardless, I just think that it's 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 a great choice to start out like that rather than. And this is before we know. I mean, if you've watched the, if you watch the trailer for the movie, you know, before you went and saw it, you probably knew that it was a uh, about an immortal. But if you don't if you don't know it, if you go in blind. I wish there. There's a lot of movies I wish I could go back and and just watch apropos of nothing without any prompt or, you know, un- understanding or context. And oh yeah, Highlander is definitely one of them. Um, if you watch this, yeah, if you watch this movie completely out of the blue because the opening, you know, that just says like, okay, Highlander, you're you're, you watch this wrestling match. The guy's leaving, and all of a sudden, someone comes up behind him says McLeod and the two people pull impossibly large swords out of their jackets. Yes. And you're just like, and they have this like insane sword fight. And this is, this is really it. Connor McLeod shows up wearing, you know, like Nike, like tennis shoes and a members right. only jacket. And he's got a samurai sword. He's got a samurai sword. The other guy has like a sword, like a, yeah, he's like, wearing a full suit and aviator glasses. And then he's got like a, uh, like, like a, a French, uh, it's not a fencing sword, but it's that style, like a it's thinner, got the, longer blade. Yeah, it's got the the, the complicated hand guard with the, all the intricate filigree and stuff. Call you it know. a hilt. A hilt, right? Yeah. <laughs> we gotta pro- <laughs> we gotta brush up on our sword terms if we're gonna be ragging and on and Highlander. And, and like you, li- and when they're and they're when they when they clang swords, like thousands of sparks come off of the sword. If you didn't know what this movie was about, you'd just be like. What the fuck is going on? Right That's now? actually the 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 style of the super wide angle uh, coverage in shots, and then the impossible amount of sparks whenever they strike something. Uh, it those are two of my favorite things. Like the, it's definitely a stylish movie. Like at the, the end gr- of the day, the movie is by and large a really good looking movie. I mean, like whatever you want to say about the nonsense of the plot you know, questionable acting at times, whatever. Uh, visually, 90% of this movie looks really good. And then there's 10% that looks bizarrely bad. You know, um, those second unit directors get into the... True. I mean, also I'll say there is some incredible editing in this uh, initial sword fight because you can kind of tell that the sword fight choreography is pretty mediocre. Well, and also the, the two people involved, especially the man in the suit. I forget his name. He has a... He has a specific name, but yeah, I don't remember. But he is visu- visibly struggling with a lot of the the movements. Oh yeah. But then inexplicably, he does a backflip off of one of the cars. He doesn't do a backflip. He does something that drives me nuts in most movies, but I kind of like in this one is he travels, you know, great distances through a series of hand flips, as if that's a faster way to move than just running. And I think this was something that was really popular in American movies in the in the 
mid to late eighties, early nineties is like this person's just gonna do flips for a quarter mile. Well, consider that it is a great defensive way to travel. Because traditional running, you could get stabbed in the back or have your Achilles tendon sliced or, uh, you know, someone could throw a bowling pin at your head. But if you're doing flips, you've got your hands and your feet sort of creating this impenetrable barrier. I see. Okay, that's not exactly how I looked at it, but I'm going to roll with it. (laughs) This guy Um, did it. Mark DeCoscos did it. And I'm sure someone else will do it. So basically, uh, this movie has a lot of unique visual style it's got great music it's got a great score queen did like several original songs for it which is kind of funny because it's a low budget movie the highlander theme is iconic yes i don't use that term lightly but it is incredible the Mm -hmm. opening like lines and riffs of that song absolutely unforgettable i don't think this would be the same movie without the queen uh, no element absolutely not and i read something interesting uh right after when when preparing for this was that originally they hired queen to write one song and they had the budget you know to to pay them for one song they wrote it then they showed queen like after they wrote it they showed queen like parts of the movie that had been filmed that were starting to be edited together and rough cuts and stuff and queen liked what they were seeing so much that they decided to record extra songs for free and each member of the band insisted on writing their own song for the movie. I wonder if they felt, or if, I wonder if they were Highlanders and if they were like, we've been living this secret life. We didn't have a name for it. Now we can finally I don't know put if, this to I bed. Th- Brian May, Freddie Mercury. Well, Freddie Mercury didn't have die lived of decap- forever. Freddie Mercury didn't die of decapitation. So. Sure, he didn't. Oh, right. <laughs> That's or what even, they want you to think. Or actually, I mean, this kind of this sounds really kind of shitty because he died of AIDS, but in real life, but uh, maybe he just faked his death. So maybe he, he did to start over it because that's what the immortals have to do. They have to fake their death periodically. How many immortals are just walking among us? How many? Two. Tupac, Two. Elvis, Freddie Mercury, uh, JFK. Who's that guy that uh, everyone thought died but is still alive? Oh, uh... Nelson Mandela. Oh, yeah. The Mandela effect, you know? Everyone's like, oh, I thought he was dead. Well, turns out he's just an immortal warrior uh, here for the gathering. It's funny that you bring that up because I wrote in my notes that the entirety of Highlander 2 is one giant Mandela effect. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) Uh... I don't know, but moving along. What? Okay, so we. What do you have anything? Do you have anything positive you want to say about the first Highlander thing? Yeah, Highlander's great. It's, it's an, great. It's an awesome premise. You get paid off uh, in spades with a, a man who has visibly lived for uh, a very long time and is kind of sick and tired of the bullshit of being immortal, and uh, he would just like to have a normal life. You know, find some some babe to grow old with and die. Right. And. Um, you know, the Kurgan steps in, one of the great antagonists in, in film history. Ooh. He's been terrorizing this guy for uh, hundreds of years. I guess not, not you know, literally, uh, but, you know, in his mind and in his heart. Yeah. And uh, he shows back up and uh, they get back up to their old uh, 
contentious relationship. It's very much like a Sabretooth and Wolverine type scenario. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Clancy Brown plays the Kurgan and uh, does a great job adapting to modern life. And so that's, that's is... really what's great about it is it's, you know, ancient warriors living in modern life, but it's not like Genghis Khan at the mall right. uh, from Bill and Ted. So this is, so the, yeah, basically there's a lot of great things about it, but you can also see there's also negative things that, that lay the seeds for what's to come. No, and, wrong. Wait, hold on. Let me finish. Let <laughs> me finish. It's so such later, a, real quick though, it's such a like a tight premise yes. and such a basic premise. And they don't, the, in the first movie, they don't overcomplicate it. I disagree. I disagree. I knew it would be. I knew it would be worthwhile for me to keep because, talking. Because <laughs> while we're ultimately going to defend Highlander two to at least a certain degree, we, we there's no question that it's not batshit bonkers. And the seeds are laid here. I think it does overcomplicate things at times. I think there are just kind of things they ignore out of convenience at times. And this isn't necessarily. Uh, a plotting problem, but when you were talking about Clancy Brown as the Kurgan, Clancy Brown, legendary character actor, probably most famous for playing the prison guard in uh, the Shawshank Redemption. And the town sheriff in Pet Cemetery too. That's true. Obviously, This is... He's the perfect foil for... This is easily my least favorite Clancy Brown performance. How dare you? Easily. Strolling around in church, quoting Jim Morrison? Come on, baby. Uh, he, and oddly enough, I think he's better. You say that he does a great job at adapting to modern times. I think he's better in the, in the flashback scenes. And it's not so much how he adapts. It's just his performance in the, in the modern time scenes. He does that thing where I'm a bad guy because I whisper everything really low. And his, I think his character is written very uneven in the modern times. I don't think he, he, he 100% does not work for me as a legitimate antagonist. I mean, yeah, sure, he's an antagonist, but I don't buy him as the ultimate bad bad guy. I feel like he's he should have been taken out by another Highlander years ago. Well, uh, let me put this question to you. Does he have to be the ultimate bad guy? No. Is, is this really is the, the, the battle for the prize... Is this a a matter of good and evil, or is it just a matter of the last man standing? Okay, let me let me rephrase that. Not the ultimate bad guy, the ultimate adversary. I well, and that's I mean that's a question for the movie too. Because did they really have to? I mean, the obvious the obvious answer is yes, because conflict drives story. Right. But did they have to make everything so personal between no? Connor and the Kurgan and also no, why have, is he the Kurgan I don't know because I don't know why he's the Kurgan but that's just what they call him you know why is yeah. Connor McLeod from the clan McLeod you know I don't know but he's not the Connor McLeod I wish he was he's the not, Connor he's Man. not the Connor Cloud <laughs> it's because everybody has a name that just sounds like something in this movie that's what yeah. that's why well, I guess yeah back in medieval times like you had a reputation if you were yeah. a warrior and shit like that but it's not even just that he has to be the you know like but they, but the other thing, he doesn't have to be, but they portray him like, for some reason, the Kurgan wants to kill McLeod more than he wants to kill any other Highlander, even though he should just want to kill them equally. Yeah, know? and he's also interested in torturing him a little bit. Yeah, they make no, they make no, they make no 
explanation. That's where the plot gets complicated. Like, why is everyone so obsessed with McLeod? Ramirez personally personally seeks out McLeod. You know, why doesn't he seek out some other Highlander? The Kurgan wants to get McLeod more than he wants to get any other Highlander, even though he needs to. It should be an equal task. You know, before he's even met McLeod, he really wants McLeod. Yeah. There's no personal vendetta there at that point. And not only does that not work, and like I think like his character is very uneven, in terms of him just being intimidating, now, I have no, no doubt that Clancy Brown, at this point in his life now, and particularly at that stage of his life in the 80s, not just as a character, but as a human being, could annihilate me in a fist fight. Like, I would not stand a chance. Yeah, he was back then, he was seven feet tall, 500 pounds. Right. His head, head was the size of like a mini fridge. Now, when it comes to sword fighting, and keep in mind, that is the only way these Highlanders can kill each other is by decapitating each other with swords. So, sword prowess is very important. I have no, I also have no doubt in my mind that I could defeat the the Kurgan <laughs> in a sword fight, even though I've never been in anything remotely like a sword height and have no sword training because the, the the amount of ineptitude he shows with a sword, which is just flailing madly, swinging it one way, seemingly unable to pick it up again, at times just hacking at things that aren't even near uh, his adversary, just like slashing at garbage cans and uh, scaffolding with his back turned to the person he's fighting. Like I feel like all I would have to do is just kind of step to the side and then poke him once and we're good well see now you're just showing your ass uh as far as your limited knowledge on sword battles because when you have a huge heavy broadsword like that yes you have to start swinging in anticipation of where your opponent might be because it takes so long to get there now here's something so interesting. So he's he's got to get his day started swinging this sword because by lunchtime connor mcleod might be right where he wants him Here's something I actually interesting did learn recently watching one of those stupid uh, videos on YouTube where it's like sword expert breaks down sword scenes in movies. Oh, those are great. Broad swords are actually not that much heavier than a regular sword and are perfectly balanced and could even be handled with one hand. The two hand thing was just to allow you to drop more force and a little extra handle. Wait, but what's a regular sword? I don't know, like this, like the sword <laughs> fucking the cloud has. No, he has a samurai sword. That's a, a katana. A, a, a normal sized sword. Those you know, are those are built to be light and breezy. Okay, like your average, to, you know, to cut cut the wind. We're talking about your run of the mill mom and pop steak and potatoes sword here. Okay. <laughs> I will say this: the the way you know he's a modern warrior by the fact that he has a a sword. That you carry in a briefcase, yeah, and, then it, right. and it comes together. It's, you put it, it's the you, exact same scene as uh, the Ripper putting his axe together in uh, Last Action Hero. Oh I, yeah, or, I love scenes like that. Now it's not even a gun, but they right. treat it as such because that's their way of saying, "Welcome to the modern era." Right. Make your sword in six different pieces and then click it together. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love that part too. Um. In terms of this movie, to me, plotting not making sense, right? So we already established, I don't understand why everyone's just obsessed with Connor McLeod. But when Ramirez 
shows up. And now, let's also keep can, in mind. Wait, like, can you say his full name by memory? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I think it's I think it's uh, Ramirez Juan Sanchez Villalobos. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think I got it. <laughs> so when he shows up, but he's up, not. He's a Spaniard, but he's actually Egyptian. Played by a Scotsman. Don't forget that. Yeah. Now, obviously, whitewashing is nothing new. You know, hiring an actor to play. Well, I I, I mean, don't. Per- Particularly I, I at this time, but I don't know if I would call this that because I think they're they are playing it for laughs and they're playing it as part of the Ramirez's character is sort of this man of dubious origins and and someone you can't necessarily trust because he's always working an angle. So uh, okay. I, I think that's what that points to. I don't think it's fair enough meant but, to be taken seriously. But also, there's even a line. Uh, at the beginning of the movie where right after the first sword fight, uh, uh, Connor McLeod is being interrogated by the police for decapitating someone. And someone says, hey, you got a funny accent. Where are you from? And he goes, all over, right? So Christopher Lambert, who plays... Oh, uh, I love that. But but Christopher Lambert... Lambert, excuse me. Uh, you know, Roger Ebert used to always mispronounce his name too. And I wonder if it was just... Uh, he he's a a very intelligent guy, but I'm wondering if he did it just to be like a, a be a jerk about it, right? So <laughs> he's super vindictive. So so they're 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 implying that you know he's this this Highlander has traveled across the world, right? And he uh, is the, he's the sum of all cultures, right? You know, and Christopher Lambert is that's actually, where he wears a gray members only jacket. <laughs> does have a very interesting accent. <laughs> does have a very interesting accent because he was born in Long Island. Grew up in, I think, uh, Sweden, then moved to France. It is such a mystifying accent, and it's such a such a product of the time. But like, this man of questionable European descent is so charismatic and so haunting. He has that look about him as if he's like he's the most cultured man you've ever met. But he also knows what it's like to eat a rat off the fucking ground. Right, but and also- I, I totally understand why he was such a hot commodity. It's just too bad that it never really quite like paid off. He has incredible screen presence, yeah. Despite certain lack act of acting abilities at times, and, and his his goofy sense of humor mm-hmm. it was actually I think it was ahead of its time. I think it was very much a like a '90s kind of sarcastic like vibe and. Uh, whoever decided to start casting him him in movies really had. They were really onto something, but it just like it's one of those situations where he got to be a star, but you know he's most known as the Highlander and as Raiden in Mortal Kombat. He's he's miscast, I think, in most mo- movies because he looks once again we've talked about this before. He looks like a bleeding man. He has this incredible like you watch him on screen. He has a great presence, but he just doesn't necessarily always come across correctly. Like I think he would work better as villains more than heroes. Oh and yeah, it's he, the same same the same scenario where, you know, I I wouldn't compare him directly to Van Damme, but by the same token, like Van Damme was a perfectly serviceable sort of action hero, but right. when he got to play a a character with an edge in Double Impact, and then also when he got to be a villain in The Expendables. Oh yeah, he really really knocked it out of the park and so i I think you're right i think christopher lambert would have made a tremendous villain in a lot of different movies um 
absolutely and uh there's he he has a oh, did can you, ever... you imagine him in i mean obviously alan rickman is alan rickman can you imagine him in as the lead villain in die hard or oh, sure. maybe one of the ooh ooh how about this how about this how about uh instead of um uh jeremy irons no not jeremy irons uh, die hard 2 well, are you talking about uh, which uh, which villain? The uh, like the uh, the guy who's always in all the Frank Darabont movies. That's who you're talking about, like the military guy. Uh, yeah, William Sadler. Instead yes, of William yeah. Sadler, let's get Christopher Lambert uh, as the lead villain. Did you ever see uh, that? It's like a newer Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar. It's about it's about like the movies the movie producer. Who yes, was, yes. I, I think I saw like three quarters of it. So Christopher Lambert is in that movie for a brief moment playing. Uh, I got like it, it. It alludes to he's like kind of like a Fritz, Fritz Lang type of character, like someone yeah. who, a, a, like a foreign director who fled Europe, you know, and he's directing American movies now, and he's the guy that get when we want our stock regular you know, throwaway movie to have a little style. That's the guy we get, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he's in the movie for about three minutes and he's fucking great. It's, he's like just playing like this, like kind of like snooty, comical, like artsy. Yeah. Over Euro- the top European, European director. And he's auteur. like, yeah, exactly. And it's like, I was like, these are clearly the roles you were born to play. Yeah. You know, not necessarily like, uh, badasses, you know, but you right. know, he, he did, he did, you know, legend of, uh, Grace with the Tarzan movie and it was like oh look how buff he is and he's got like long pretty hair and mm-hmm. he's got like this really unique face and this presence and it's like oh this is this is the guy we you know want to be our next action star and it just didn't a hundred percent work it worked best in in the first Highlander because it's not a traditional action hero yeah you know he, he also did a great job in uh, uh, he was in a movie called Gunman. I never saw that with uh, Mario Van Peebles, and it's it's a lot more of that, a lot more of him being like the wisecracking, you know, sarcastic type character, and mm-hmm. you know, using his wits more so than, uh, you know, his brawn and things like that. So. Right. Um, sorry, I pulled away from the mic, so I might have sounded weird. Uh, yeah, he 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 oddly works and doesn't work at the same time you know yeah uh i can't imagine anyone else in this role though like who else would no i think it would be who else could be the highlander but it's but what i was gonna say i think it's so funny and and just in terms of things that don't make sense is he has they they comment on this in the beginning of like oh of him having this you know accent amalgamation of from all over the world and even the director uh, Russell Mulcahy he said they 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 thought he thought he'd be a good choice for that particular reason of him just being like you can't really put put a finger on where he's from yet in the flashbacks when he's in Scotland before he's left his tiny village he still has that accent right the absolutely heavy <laughs> thick Scottish accent and the guy and the one character who act in the whole movie who actually has a believable Scottish accent is the Spaniard from Egypt right. <laughs> Um, but when they get into those scenes, where and this is where I think where you like start leaning into some of the kookiness that transpired in Highlander too. It's just like you say like there's this mystery of where they come from. Sometimes there's this mystery, but sometimes they also know things too specifically. Like he goes, McLeod asks Ramirez like, well, where 
do Highlanders, where immortals come from? Where, why do we exist? And he says something like, what are the stars in the skies? Just holes poked in the blanket covering the sun? Nobody knows. But then he goes in all these specifics. Like, so anyway, uh, we're all immortal. If we cut each other's heads off, this happens. This is things called the quickening. Um, there's this thing called the gathering. Well, once we kill all of each other, we'll win this prize. We don't know what, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's incredibly convoluted and specific, but also mysterious at times. It'd be like, like how, how, how is this part so clear and this other part not so clear? And it, there's easy ways to get around that. It's like, well, there's this Highlander text, but uh, half of it got lost. So we only know bits and pieces, you know? Well, they could have said that. But what that, I mean, what that really alludes to is the fact that this is an oral tradition. And sure. most of the people that knew the information are probably dead. Yeah, I think sometimes it just kind of feels like, how do we write ourselves out of this one? Telephone, telegram, telehighlander. Yeah, whatever. Those are (laughs) minor. It's lost in translation. (laughs) Yeah, telehighlander. Those are more minor complaints. I get it. I get it. But It's a pretty good movie. It's a pretty good movie. By the end, everything has blown up. All the windows in New York City have shattered, and McLeod wins the prize. And what is the prize? The prize is just infinite knowledge. Yeah, he knows everything. He can see everything, and that's you it. Know, that's he, it. He's the and boss. He, oh, and he's no longer immortal. He has right, the, he gets to die. He gets to die. So um, what the whole point of the movie is that death is a gift. Right. Uh, and oh, what was I going to just say? You can here? see everything, you can do everything, and you could be everywhere. Mm-hmm. But ultimately dying is the point of life wow here's actually i think what the biggest problem with the entire movie is this singular biggest flaw in the whole thing is that they keep saying this line there can be only one right that's that's the thing it's mostly regurgitated by the kurgan you know saying there can be only one there's only one winner at the end of the movie connor mcleod cuts off the Kurgan's head and then says there can be only one. And there's this huge quickening that happens where he absorbs all of the power that was in the Kurgan. Right. It's a larger than normal quickening because the Kurgan's a big dude. The absolute, you say to the Kurgan, the first time Connor McLeod says that line is that he's never said it before. You say that line to the Kurgan immediately before you cut off his head. Not after. That's it? That's all you got? That's it. <laughs> I really, it really pissed me off. I'm just like, this is like the classic, this is how you, del- and this is like delivering a one-liner 101. You, the, the line that someone has said to you over and over and over again, and then you say it to them, you say it to them so they can hear it right before you annihilate them. Well, I think the point, though, is that uh, uh, McLeod was reluctant to Mm-mm. to do battle with the other immortals. And so finally he, upon winning, so he, he was like a sore, a sore winner. But upon actually winning and defeating the Kurgan, it's less about like zinging the Kurgan. It's more about him accepting his fate. Nope. This is the equivalent 
I was thinking of a great comeback like two hours later. Like, oh man, if I'd only said this, that would have been so good. And then you just say it to yourself. It's really kind of pathetic, actually. Maybe he was saying it to Ramirez and not the Kurgan. Ramirez is dead. He's been, he's been he's been dead for hundreds of years. Ramirez can't hear anything. No, just he's the way- still a force ghost. Yeah, well, that actually does kind of happen later in the Highlander too. So. <laughs> Um, that's my biggest complaint. You know, there's some other things, you know, it, maybe it drags a little bit in the middle. This is kind of the movie that is not that it necessarily needs a remake, but if you're going to remake a movie, this is kind of the, the perfect candidate because there's so many cool ideas in it that you could do something original with the same basic premise. Well, and the idea of what is modern also changes, right? So if the, right. the whole premise is, you know, modern warriors battling, uh, you know, in a a, a traditional way, then like, what would that look like? You know, obviously we think of laser swords and, you know, robes and things like that, but what, what would it really look like? You know, but I, unfortunately what would probably happen if you did remake this movie is it would end up being directed by someone like Len Wiseman, the underworld movie directors. And it would be like, what if it was Highlander, but it also was the matrix. And that's all that, that's all the remake would be. First of all, if you want to talk talk shit about Underworld, you take it outside, mister. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I hit a nerve there. Over the years, I have softened quite a bit on those movies. <laughs> I've only ever seen the first one, so. One of them has a very large uh, bat vampire creature that's pretty cool. And uh, the idea of, you know, uh, aristocrat well-off vampires versus you know poor sewer dwelling werewolves is just schlocky enough to to win me over if you're if your biggest defense of this movie is one of the five movies has a bat that's pretty cool (laughs) i can't remember why i probably have some other reason but i don't know that you know it's style over substance and it's just mindless action and they've right. got uv bullets and whips and all kinds of gimmicks and stuff and the gore is really cool and i don't know okay i mean you're, like, being, you're being too hard on the underworld I, series what I, well, all i'm just saying is if they did make a highlander remake it would be no completely... i think it would i think you're you're touching on something that it would be like this cabal of people wearing like leather jackets and right uh you know, everyone would look more like Twilight than right. than anything, and you wouldn't get these sort of uh, uh, signature looks from different right. different parts of the world and you know yeah, cultural it, influences. It, it, it's the point being like it's uh, this movie needs a remake. It's because it's just that there's enough juice in it to offer. You know, you take an idea from it and run and do something completely original. You know, with what, it. But, so, but what if most, it was just like suburban dads? What if it was like. Ray Romano and Tim Allen and Kevin James and guys like that. They're like, that'd be fucking great. There could be only one. Sorry, I gotta well, go to work. I well, can't also fight right now. Think about that. Like, if you're like an you're an, an immortal from 600 years ago, you're probably only about five foot three. You know, you're not like in, in good shape for that time. Was like that you're not dying of dysentery, so you're probably not like the biggest, strongest, buffest dude. No. You, you probably are just kind of like this mild-mannered guy who's perfected his uh, sword fighting over 2,000 years. So those are questions 
that I do have of the first movie, and you sort of, you actually somehow get a little bit of an answer in the second movie, but <laughs> but when you die, or when you get sick, or like, say if you were malnourished, would you just be malnourished for the rest of your life? Well, I guess you could possibly say that since, the one thing you could say is that since they're Highlanders and they can't be injured permanently, that maybe even malnourishment couldn't nourish them. They yeah. can't starve to death, right? Well, what if they there can't... was a, an immortal with a birth defect? I don't think that would happen. Well, we don't know. Huh. I mean, also... Well, the Kurgan has his neck scar, right? Right, because that's the one spot that's vulnerable is the neck. Oh, Interesting. That's, that's it. They, like you get hit on the neck, you can have a scar there. Anywhere else, you're going to be fine. I'll give that but also, to you. How come, uh, you know, you stop aging, right? How come Ramirez is the only one? Right. Why is he older? I mean, I think that's just kind of one of those things in these type of movies that you just kind of have to go like, whatever. Yeah, they we didn't think about it. They're like, no, we just want this guy. Yeah, he's cool. And the ultimate yeah. nerd. And this is something like, well, how come in level three they had a key that opened this door, but in the next one it didn't do this? You know, that's just getting into like. Yeah, you're thinking of the xylophone gag from The Simpsons. Right, yes. That's, you know, it's like <laughs> it plays two separate notes from the same bone. All right. Yeah. I was actually combining two different. There's two different. I th- accidentally was combining two different ones. The xylophone gag, and there's one where it's like yeah, the wizard's you... key and right, the itchy and scratchy CD-ROM. And like, and Homer just goes, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah. Uh yeah. Why would a that... man whose T-shirt says "Genius at Work" spend all of his time playing a child's computer game? <laughs> right. <laughs> Checkmate. Um. Yeah, we could, we could, that's a, that's a stupid nitpick, but it's, it's it's still one of those things I think about. No. Okay, so Highlander is a good movie. It's a it's an A picture, even though it should be a C plus. Right. Absolutely. So that so should we just transition right now into? Yeah, two, I mean, I think ending? the meat. You know, we've been talking for a long time about nothing in particular, but the the reason we're here is Highlander two, the quickening. Right, and. Let me tell you something. I'll, first things first, the, night, the title of this movie, Highlander 2, The Quickening, is kind of an odd title for this movie. And really, the, the Quickening is a much more appropriate title for the first movie since the first movie is entirely about the quickening. And it kind of just, in, in Highlander 2, it's just kind of like there. I mean, you have a point. It is the whole premise and the whole point of the movie. I mean, we follow the Highlander, but... At the same time, it really is. Without the quickening, then he would just be, it would be like a sitcom of him just like living in modern day New York. It would be, yeah. it would be uh, Connor in the city. Connor in the city. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so if we get into this, this movie, so this movie is kind of wild and crazy, right? Which, so there's many versions Right. Highlander 2. The 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 famously tumultuous production and and post-production process of this movie kind of begs us to specify which version of the movie we're talking about. Right. So, which is interesting. I guess we kind of we've already touched on it about a little bit about how the producers took or the insurance company took over, re-edited the movie and then 
a little bit later on, the the filmmakers got to come back and do their cut and stuff. And I guess primarily we're going to be talking about that, the Renegade cut or the special edition cut. But because I kind of thought we you and I initially said like, okay, we're going to talk about that. And then I was like, well, I came to a realization that I saw the original cut when it first came out as a little kid and I loved it. Absolutely loved it then. And I've since then I've only seen the, the I realized I've only seen the uh, the Renegade cuts. Well, and it seems like the either the director's cut or the Renegade cut is more widely available than the theatrical release. You can't you cannot get the theatrical release on any form of media anymore. I'm wondering physical what, media. What if if it's shown on television? What version is it? Well, that's the thing. I was like, I originally because I real when I made that realization that I that I'm actually the only type I have a full memory of is the uh, the director's cut. I was gonna I decided to I was I was gonna go and watch the original one so we could do a compare and contrast, but I could not find it anywhere to watch. Not on, not like on YouTube, not on any start, type of streaming services for rent or for free at all anywhere. So I ended up just watching a bunch of YouTube comparison videos instead. Hold on, now I'm looking. Look, I'm looking this up. Oh, I thought you might have been quickened for a second. This is fascinating. Cause like I brought that up to you, but like I was like, oh well, just the streaming services. Like that's different. What about the DVDs? Nope. I actually one of the comparison videos I saw said that the they the studio has made the only available version uh the re, the recuts. You can't you can't I mean I'm sure on you can find VHSs and maybe an old out of print DVD. Yeah, that's what of, I'm thinking. of the original, but it's there's no way you can just go out and be like I'm going to go pick up a copy of the the original. It doesn't exist. And boy, oh boy, this movie, it's it's wild. I will say, when it came out, so I read an interview with uh, Michael Ironside, who plays the villain, and he said, he said that he hated the script, and he was like, just did it for the money, and he was like, but I'm gonna I'm gonna chew the scenery and all this stuff. And he said that the script uh, seemed like it was written by a 13 year old boy. And when this movie came out, I wasn't 13; I was a little, I was younger, but. I loved it, and it was filled. It didn't matter to me that it made no sense because it was filled with all the type of shit that I loved at a time like that. They're riding flying skateboards. They're cutting off heads left and right. There's, there's time lasers, travel. There's, there's aliens. time travels. Yeah, it's crazy. And I was just like, I remember my dad was a big fan of the original Highlander. He loved it. And when uh, when uh, the Highlander two came out on. VHS, he instantly rented it and he was really excited. And I, at that time, I had probably only seen like bits and pieces of the original one on on TV. So I didn't really know what it was about other than they were immortal and their sword fights. So when I saw the second one, I was like, this movie fucking rocks. I was like nine years old or something. And my dad was like, that was fucking garbage. And he was really pissed off. And I was like, this movie is dope. But it is a movie perfect for, you know, a, a nine-year-old boy because I said it's filled with all those things. But I will say about this movie, for as many of its problems and, and stuff and nonsensical plotting and just, like, bad choices, this isn't just a studio cash grab. 
You know, uh, the movie was made because the original Highlander was not a hit in the U.S. It became it was a hit overseas and became like popular on VHS. So the studio then was kind of like, okay, well, we're going to make a sequel. So maybe to the studio it was a cash grab, but to the filmmakers itself, you know, Russell Mulcahy and probably, the, I don't know about the screenwriters or whatever. This is a psychotic labor of love. It is. And if you watch the, there's like a making of mm-hmm. uh, with interviews from Christopher Lambert and Russell Mulcahy and I don't know, one of the producers and everybody was all in on this thing. Except for, well, except for Michael Irons. I mean, he wasn't, he gave it his all, but he thought it was a piece of shit movie, but yeah, still, he, was, he, he was, still didn't, he said he wanted to be the most memorable thing in this, in it. Right. He was sort of quietly had his own agenda, but all of these other folks involved were like, yeah, we, we love the Highlander and we're going to, we have this ambitious story and like the scope and just well, this I, absurd they they got so far up their own asses with right. creating this this sci-fi epic like it was dune or something i think up their own asses is exactly the right term and i have heard that uh interviews with like christopher lambert saying like i think it was stupid that they were now all of a sudden aliens not just earthly immortals and all this stuff but he was still all in i mean he went back when they did the the when the production got shut down and the uh, insurance company took over when they went back to do the director's cut they filmed new scenes that they never got to film originally that were in the script and Christopher Lambert went back and, and filmed those scenes so he wanted to see the realized vision of it as well even though that even the realized vision is still pretty insane but yeah it's ambitious as fuck there are things that are cool about it the at, at times it looks kind of like a Frank Frazetta or Boris Vallejo painting. It's another it's another good-looking movie for the most part, you know. Oh, it's incredible looking. Like you can see where the money went. It's not one of those movies where you're like, "What? That was the budget?" Like you yeah. see it. Yeah, and there's also some pretty cheesy-looking stuff too, but overall, I mean, it's a it's a visually well-made movie. I heard I once heard somebody refer to Russell Mulcahy as kind of like a uh, working man's or blue collar or low rent Ridley Scott, and that kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think um, th- there are definitely uh, proponents of this movie who would liken it to Highlander meets Blade Runner. Sure, yeah, and I think in some respects that's fair because the the sort of the modern world does mildly resemble Blade Runner. Oh yeah. my God! Russell Mulcahy directed Resident Evil Extinction. Ooh, he has a very interesting filmography. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now because I was curious about some of his some it's, of his movies. It's mo- he was a, he was a music video director. He's Australian. He's a music video director. He, in, even to this day, like most of his credits are still music videos. He still does music videos. Holy cow! The Real McCoy. Yep. With Kim Basinger. The Shadow. Mm-hmm. So not Batman. Not Batman. And then I love how he jumps from like, you know, two wide re- widely released movies to Silent Trigger with Dolph Lundgren, which was a direct-to-video. The only reason I know what that movie is is because I've seen it on television. 
and I watched it just because Dolph Lundgren was in it, and I waited 90 minutes for an action sequence, and there is none. It's just Dolph Lundgren and this girl sitting in an empty skyscraper with a gun aimed at something, waiting for someone to walk into the sights, and they literally just talk the entire time. And that's what's then the thing that's so bizarre about his filmography is he'll make a big studio movie and then he'll make like five like super low budget uh, generic directed video movies like Secrets of the Mummy's Curse Tomb Revenge. And then all of a sudden he'll make another studio movie or he'll make a really uh, critically acclaimed TV movie and then he'll make all this. It, it's just all over the place. Oh, he directed Bait? Uh-huh. I kind of enjoyed that movie. Yeah, it's a so it's, it's an intriguing thing. Intriguing thing. Do you ever see that movie he made? Uh I think it's his first movie. It's called Razorback about a giant uh killer uh, warthog. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. That's a, a relatively uh large cult following. It's a it's a good look. It's another it's a, it's another it's a really good looking movie. It's not a very good movie, but it looks great. Yeah, you can't really deny the chemistry between Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery. Like whatever whatever the the buddy cop rapport they have is, uh, uh-huh. it's good. Now, one thing I'm curious about, you know, because like you said, like, oh, there's, they wanted the, you said how far they were up their own asses wanting to concoct this uh, elaborate, you know, sci-fi epic. Do you think the filmmakers possibly thought that the first Highlander wasn't very good and possibly just a throwaway movie? Because the amount of just disregard for that and also just rewriting, retconning of things that happened in it. And the fact that you could have come up with way simpler ways to bring back these characters rather than this convoluted space, time travel, uh, alien, non-alien, sometimes you're an alien, sometimes you're from the future, sometimes you're mortal, sometimes you're not plot. Yeah. It's, be- it's because they're like, oh, we made this kind of shitty, just kind of like whatever B-movie, but now we're going to make something big. So we're going to try and distance ourselves from that purposely as much as possible. Do you think that's there or is this kind of like all just too much cocaine? I think that, so the original Highlander came out in 1986 and then Highlander 2 came out in 1991. And I think that for filmmakers that were given a budget and and allowed to make a movie, but not too much of a movie, um, you know, following that up with a sequel, they they did raise their level of ambition and they raised the budget. And given that it's, you know, five years later, I think that motivated by all of these other sci-fi movies that had come out in the late 80s, you know, the, the bar was now much, much higher. And so I think they thought they had to rise to the occasion and just load this thing up with, uh, excuses for visual effects and and reasons to spend the budget and uh, you know without that we would have just gotten the same movie but I think that is that's the darker side of ambition right is you know they say oh if it's a sequel we don't want to just make the same movie again maybe they should have well true but I mean I think you would still do things 
where you could, I mean, obviously the movie naturally jumps. The first time jump in the movie is a natural one. It just takes place in the future. McLeod, since he's mortal now, is an, a very elderly man. And you're in this future world, you know, 40, 50 years in the future by natural design. McLeod also has infinite knowledge, right? So there could be things that he learned that we don't necessarily know about that maybe the maybe the, he learned that this is only the first portion of the gathering and that he's not the only immortal left and he was just the, the only immortal left of this particular race of immortals. There's all these ways to bring these concepts back without it being just a complete clusterfuck of like, well, and there, I don't know. There is so many, there is a lot of great ideas in Highlander 2, and it starts with the fact that McLeod is this sort of world-weary soul. After claiming the prize, he could not escape a fate as affecting the course of human history, right? In in the first Highlander, he he did a lot of different things, but he sort of avoided things like public office and you know, sort of affecting in the same way a time traveler would. He tried not to to disrupt things too much. He tried to stay out of the way, right? Mm-hmm. And then by Highlander 2, he's kind of the only one qualified to help uh, solve this problem of the deteriorating ozone layer. And so he, he couldn't help but be involved. And now as as a important historical figure, he's taxed with this responsibility that maybe he's not quite... You know, he's, he's kind of reluctant. And we find out later that he's mostly doing it just because he's bummed that his wife is dead. So when a man does things out of mourning rather than out of, uh, you know, out of the, the motivation to save the world and and help a dying planet, then uh, that's where you fall into some trouble. But we do get, you, we do really get a glimpse of him as... I've been alive for so long and I've done so many things and now I'm tired and I just want to die. That, I mean, that, that totally worked within this set of the story. But then when he becomes young again, he's not like, oh shit, I'm immortal again. He's like, hey, cool. Hey, cool. I'm immortal. Let me have sex with this stranger up against a alley wall. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's and like... she's so mesmerized. She's like, wow, magic just turned that old man uh, into a much younger man. If Let's go. If I watched an old man decapitate several people, suddenly become young, get exploded, and walk out of a fire fine, and then he was like, hey, Elliot, do you want to have sex with me? I would instantly say yes. There, there is no <laughs> way... That anyone can deny that. And that's the other thing I want to think too. Going back to the first movie, as something I brought up, you know how he's when he's being interrogated for cutting that guy's head off? And the one cop's like, Oh, did you go down there for like a hand job or a blow job or something? And then it didn't go right, so you cut his head off. And then McLeod goes, Oh, you're a pervert. You're disgusting. If there's anybody who shouldn't be a homophobe, in the 80s, it's Connor McLeod. That dude has lived for hundreds of years. You're, you're telling me there is no way that guy's kind of like, has never been like, oh, I'll try it one time. Whatever. Like, he should be totally... Uh, yeah, he should be far more evolved and, right. and open to 
uh, different kinds of lifestyles. Even if, even even if he's, you, he, there's no way he's not, hasn't been just like, oh, let's see what it's all about. Let me just try it out. That well, has yeah, definitely a- happened. After his wives keep dying over and over again, I mean, he tells in Highlander two, there's that that scene where Virginia Madsen is asking about all of his different wives, and it's he's like, she was the loveliest woman I ever met until she passed away. Yeah, and then she was the the smartest, most most uh, caring woman that I've ever been with. And then she died. And it's like every story ends the same way. So in his search for, you know, companionship and, and love, I'm sure that he, he tested the waters in other ways. Well, you know, as far as we know, he's only ever had three relationships. The first one wanted to, uh, thought it accused him of witchcraft and wanted to burn him and tried to burn him alive. The mm-hmm. second one died of old age, and the third one uh, got burnt to death by the toast. Sun. Yeah, she became toaster strudel. So I mean, he has his, his as far as we know, his re- relationships have been rocky at best. Um, so yeah, I, 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 it's kind of hard to believe that he wouldn't like dip his toes in other waters just to try it out. That is a weird scene, though. Like that cop who accuses him of, of. It seems like he's into McLeod. Like he's just—he's so angry about it, as mm-hmm. if like someone had wronged him in the bathroom at a wrestling event himself. Right. Well, you never know. It's a very strange scene. It really it sticks is. out. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Hold on a second. I'm going to get some water. Okay. Is that water or is he just peeing really loudly? That's what I want to know. Why the fuck was Michael Ironside's character called General Katana? Yeah, I he think that... He does not use a Japanese sword. This That to me is like such... That's a video game name where it's just kind of like... Oh, what's a what's a foreign word that means a weapon? I uh, will call it that. You know, it was just like the the most lazy for yeah for a movie that is so ambitious in so many things. It's just like the the lazy strokes too in this at times are just so glaring. Yeah, that was one of the weakest. Like it just sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like mm-hmm. apropos of nothing, we have given this guy a name that has nothing to do with anything. It speaks nothing to his character or his identity or just anything. Even in a, like a children's cartoon, right? Like in uh, X-Men, there's a character called Silver Samurai. Right. Guess what? He's a samurai from Japan, and he wears a big, giant suit of silver armor. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean that's the kind of that's the kind of name like it was in Guardian Galaxy two where they just keep making fun of that guy named Taserface you know oh yeah that's the that's the equivalent of this name like if it was General Katana everyone would be like what should be like huh huh what your name is what your general what is that your real name like why why are you named after a sword Ugh. and why don't you use that type of sword and uh, yeah yeah why do you have a Canadian accent well that just makes sense watch your mouth Captain. All, all, all aliens from the planet Zeist either have a Scottish accent, a Canadian accent, or a, I'm not sure what that is. You know what? Instead of this whole, like, 
McLeod and Ramirez on the foreign planet and the rebellion and all this nonsense and getting exiled to the future nonsense. I would have loved to see just a sad old man remembering like flashbacks back to his wife and back to dooming the planet under this, uh, the ozone shield. That's something I think that is missing from both movies. Why didn't, why wasn't that just the opening sequence? Right. That's something I think is missing from both of these movies is this is supposed to be this guy who has traveled throughout time, right? And we don't honestly get that much of a a view of that. There's In the first one, there's primarily just flashbacks to his time in Scotland. And even that is not a, a long period of time. They discover he's immortal. He gets banished by his town. And then instantly he has a new like wife, girlfriend in a new town. Ramirez shows up. What if he? What if that was like fifty, hundred years later? You know, before Ramirez ever shows up, and he's wandering around, why being like, why can't I get old? Why won't I die? Yeah, you know, just why, examples of you know, not so much the uh, dying in battle and then coming right. back and everyone, but just him like throwing himself off a cliff and right, you know, trying to drown himself and right. just trying to like solve the puzzle. But it just seemed like egregiously out of order in so many ways like right uh you don't see that scene with his dying wife with the 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 toaster strudel skin until like halfway through the movie right i was like this is the entire motivation for like him dooming the earth right like and that's and that's after he's after the the re-edit that's supposed to put stuff back in a way that makes sense right i see i have no um because that's not even in the theatrical cut it's not no that's that's why i watched that that last night when i was like doing notes and trying to figure out what's in the theatrical cut just so we could compare it i they said that's not even in it i see i like the fact that they they gave it that turn of he tried to do this nice thing for humanity and ended up just fucking everybody over yeah uh that's hilarious but at the same time like if that's such an integral part of the story like what the hell is his motivation i would love to see the version of the movie that just has nothing like there's no reason for him to block out the sun uh, other than like, oh, the ozone's in trouble. Somebody better do something. Yeah, like he's kind of become a dick. Yeah, like he's like he's like I got the prize, and all the prize was is now that I'm gonna die, and uh, another person I like is dead. Whoop de do! And I live, <laughs> and I live in this shithole world. I'll <laughs> just find all... a new one. Do they? Do the characters know? Does Does McCloud know that he is from a time traveler that's been reincarnated? In this one, because they they certainly don't know that in the first one. Yes, because there's that whole sequence where Virginia Madsen is like, "Oh, let me get this straight. You're from this place in this time, and you're immortal here, but not there. And you're immortal every time they send guys here until they you kill all the guys from there, and blah blah blah. That whole thing, right?" So he knows that he's been exiled from a different world, and that's why he's immortal. Yeah. Man, it seems like we came here to defend these movies, but we just end up just started like... I mean, I like Highlander too, but yeah, yeah it's... Uh, it's uh, it's weird, and it, but I, it's fascinating, and that's right. the, whole, the whole deal. Like, 
thought I mean, I've talked about movies that are like oh this movie's so 90s and I've talked about it usually in time t- terms of stuff that's like the you know like kind of like the alternative grungy 90s or whatever but this movie is so 90s in the sense of just like yeah all these things you would see in like sci-fi action movies and it came out in 1991 and everyone hated it but yet it still had this huge you know whether whether conscious or unconscious influence on everything we would see for in the next 10 15 years yeah i mean just a year earlier uh total recall was out yeah which still very much felt like a late 80s movie oh yeah i would say i mean like i think you're still getting movies that feel like 80s movies up until like jurassic park you know i mean i think jurassic park is kind of like this transitional movie where it's still had the vibe of a lot of eight movie 80s movies but was just kind of shifting in a new direction and that kind of just tipped the scales where after that we didn't get 80s feeling movies anymore you know so i guess we actually have really here really shown the true defense of highlander 2 is that for better or worse it is or consciously Holy unconsciously shit. incredibly influential hold on a second Terminator 2 came out in 1991. Yeah. Holy shit. I would say that's also kind of another one that was kind of like another transitional movie. Yeah. I mean, that movie was definitely leading the way. Holy cow. I thought that was like 92 or 93, but maybe I'm thinking of Last Action Hero. Let's see. Yep. 93 is Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero? Yeah. It's also kind of funny, too, like that, you know, Terminator 2 is kind of like the peak of Arnold's stardom. And you think like that's you just keep going on with hit after hit after hit after that. But then his movies kind of started like spiraling out of control into. Oh, yeah. Junior and Jingle All the Way. Okay, and even not... um, where he fires the guy off the missile. Oh, True Lies. True Lies. Yeah. Oh, True Lies is fun. And I really like Junior. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to lie. That's, I think that's a good movie. <laughs> why haven't we talked about it on the show we could do a whole episode on that absolutely yeah i don't i don't believe i've ever seen it oh great oh yeah this which that should be that should be that should be one of our next two or three episodes i think so i think we'll, well continue the trend with ridiculous sci-fi premises well let's see do you got any other thing else you want to add they built an actual train that would run like the length of like three football fields that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I guess, you know, I've come to, like, I went into this conversation being kind of like, yeah, I can I can defend Highlander 2. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's an ambitious movie. It's a crazy movie. It's a flawed movie, but whatever. But I've come away with it with a little bit, even a little bit more respect in just how much it went for, how much it did have an, an influence for good or bad, intentional or otherwise, not conscious or otherwise, on cinema. Um, and I think that's something to say, that if you have a movie that's that maligned, but still ends up influencing everything that comes out after it, it was doing something, you know? It was doing something powerful, whether that was a good powerful thing or a bad powerful thing. It had a genuine impact. Yeah, and I think it really, like, Highlander 2 sort of signals the end of the 
like the sword and sorcery era of the 1980s because oh, you wouldn't yeah. see anything like this again until probably uh what like Robin Hood Prince of Thieves right well and I mean, even that would... then that's that's less of a kind of fantasy sci-fi movie and it's it's a completely like fresh take on the material I, th- I think Prince of Thieves was about the same time as Highlander 2 really I think so and yeah but it's also comp- 91 same year oh my god but it's all but also it's a completely different type of you know well even though i'm i'm completely incorrect on my timeline i think the sentiment stands that this did signal the the <laughs> end of the sword and sorcery uh era of the 1980s cuz it sort of peaked with a more modern you know futuristic take and then you know it was pretty much over from there yeah i guess you're right if 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 terminator 2 is a transitional film and Jurassic Park is a transitional film, then this 100% is also a transitional film. Yeah, because what other sort of like warrior movies and sword movies and things like that were coming out after this? Oh, I mean, particularly with like kind of like that unique fantasy, but also sci-fi element, because there was a lot of movies like that, even movies that took place from the 80s even movies that took place in an ancient time there was still like laser wizards you know like the wiz you know kroll or uh um uh, masters of the universe master of the universe sword and sorcerer uh a bunch of weird italian movies yeah it was it was like it was sci-fi mixed into the past so yeah it was a, kind of the end of an era you know what else came out in 1991 Hmm. Doll Man. Oh my God! Starring <laughs> Tim Thomerson as the titular Doll Man, and that would be the kind of sci-fi movies we would get for the rest of the decade. That was actually a movie that I had. I always knew that it existed, but until relatively recently, I actually knew what it was about. I thought it was about like a. I thought it was like a killer doll movie. Oh yeah, like a or, man trapped in a doll, or or like a, a someone who got yeah trapped in a doll or. Something like that. And then when I found out, it's like, it's just a tiny alien on Earth. (laughs) It's literally, yeah, a man-shaped cop who comes to a different planet, and it turns out there's a little bit of a size difference. (laughs) There's some really great breakdowns of that movie, though, where they talk about how, uh, how his gun is able to create the same proportional impact. So, like, when his tiny little gun shoots a full-size man, like, they get absolutely murdered. So it's basically Ant-Man. It's essentially, yeah. Although I think that character was has been around for a lot longer than Doll Man, but Oh boy. That's great. A wise cracking, like, you know, two fisted, you know, teeth clenched cop cut down to size. That's kind of a clever spin, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the nineties were a weird time in movies and yeah. I really do like I really do think that Highlander 2 was the kind of the end of an era. And I'm sure there's other movies that would point to that as well. But it it became time for, uh, you know, like reality-based action and even sci-fi, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if Terminator 2 is any indication, you know, the whole premise of that movie is grounded in reality. 
aside from time travel, but it's approached from a very scientific and realistic. Right, exactly. It's supposed to be like, what would happen in the real world if blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because everything about it is real, aside from the the liquid metal Terminator yeah. that's trying to kill everybody. Yeah, exactly. Do you know there's also a Highlander cartoon? Oh, yeah, series? Highlander 2020. Did not know that. Did not know that till last night. Yeah, my, my pedigree of watching Not Cable... Uh, led me to see a lot of these sort of uh, one season or two season failed cartoon concepts. There is also a Phantom, uh, Phantom Twenty Forty. Damn. Yeah. You think there was Highlander action figures? Uh, yes, definitely. Without oh, yeah, question. There, there totally was. Yep. Yeah, everything had action figures in the the late eighties and early nineties. It was awesome. I'll never forget the Christmas that I actually got a bunch of Terminator 2 action figures. I got the endoskeleton. I got the T-1000 with the exploding, like it blows up into three different pieces, his torso. Uh-huh. And then there is also a uh, there is a Terminator with three interchangeable arms. One of them is a normal arm with battle damage and then a like a RoboCop style like blade that comes out of the fist. And then the other arm was like a big industrial-looking claw. And then the third and final arm was a, a big rocket launcher when you could fire the rocket. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, it looks like there's a whole bunch of different pilots. I mean, there's a bunch of like new like ones, I think. Oh, I'm sure. That are like, you know, the high detail ones. But there was there was ones for the animated series. And it looks like there was, uh, looks like Kenner made some ones for the original movie. I definitely want a Christopher Lambert action figure i mean i think he really is the one of the reasons to watch this movie he's just like you were saying earlier he's so fascinating to watch and he really just sort of is magnetic he really Mm -hmm. ropes you in and he's been in some stinkers but uh if i know he's in a movie i'll give it i'll give it a few minutes of my time yeah well i see like i don't really think i have anything else to add on this um yeah this is a weird one but i think it it just reinforces my love for absolutely bonkers sequels and Uh, originals are originals, but on a long enough timeline, those originals, I think eventually will feel like a product of their time. I don't, I don't think a, a movie can truly be timeless. Um, and even the, you know, the, the movie greats like alien and Texas chainsaw massacre and, um, you know, whatever else you want to put on the list. I think a bonkers sequels just give us something new and fun to just play around with. Yeah, and people always act like when you have a sequel that's like totally disregards the first one or is just, or even if it's just like plain bad, people act like it tarnishes the first one. And, and like how? You know, it's like it was a stand. It's a, the first one stands alone as as itself, unless it's like a, unless it's a, a a completely interlocking trilogy where you don't even have a conclusion to the first one until the last one comes along. Uh, who cares? You know. Yeah, my in fact, my favorite sequels are the ones that just use the same premise and like a loose connection, like Predator Two. Has yeah. got to be one of the best sequels of all time, and it's not only is it just a loose connection via the Predator and a few sort of throwaway lines, 
but it takes it it takes the rules and the ideas of the first and just injects uh some new uh locations and characters into it and that's it it's different enough that if you you could make a completely different movie with the exact same script and a different designed alien and people would say oh this is just kind of a predator ripoff not this is obviously a sequel to the predator you know like mm-hmm. it's its own movie but it, like it borrows some ideas it ripped off a couple ideas from predator or actually no you take away you take away the invisible shield and you take away or the invisibility cloak and you take away the alien design it's a completely different movie i take back what i just said it's a completely different movie a different movie than predator right i completely disagree oh, well fine it's it, it it's literally all the rules that were established. Uh, the predators drawn by heat yeah, and conflict, you're right. and okay, it's you're drawn right. to the the whoever the alpha of the a group of a tribe is. Well, that's what I'm saying. You take away those. You you stick with the premise. But of that's the everything. Alien. Okay, fine. That's all the okay. the key components. Fine, fine. The yeah. only difference is that Danny Glover is not as like jacked up as Arnold Schwarzenegger and. Uh, you know, Bill Paxton actually gets murdered, you know, pretty easily and dispatched handily. And uh, that's fair, pretty believable. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here's what you guys, here's what everyone has to look forward to Junior, Predator 2, some other movie that we haven't decided. We got some shows coming up. They're going to be bad. Yeah, I think we're going to stick with the theme of, uh, of uh, sh- sort of wacky sci fi for a little bit. I think there's yeah. we could have a lot of fun with. I mean, and technically, Junior fits into there. Oh yeah, definitely. That's mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, a conceptual uh, sci-fi movie, even wacky without sci-fi. being. It should be. It should be a combination, wacky sci-fi and or highly maligned sequels. Insane sequels. Insane sequels. So it, it th- those sequels could be sci-fi movies, but they don't necessarily have to be. Will this be the moment? Where Elliot finally sees Alien Covenant. Maybe I won't. It's only it's up to the stars. Maybe I'll read their synopsis on Wikipedia and try and, and try and go go along. We'll maybe we'll happens. maybe we'll get into uh, movie adaptation and novelizations. Okay, here's okay. We got Junior, Predator Two, Alien Covenant. And I'm gonna throw one in there to the mix. Un- this hasn't come up. Never discussed it. All monsters attack. The most hated Godzilla sequel of all time that I think is pretty good. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. There we go. All right, guys. Well, I think that sums it up for this episode of The Trash Heap. Thanks for listening. Feels great to be back. It does. Welcome back, Elliot. Welcome back, Keith. Till next time, the dumpster is closed. What I'm saying is I want someone to hit me in the head with a bowling ball so that I'm willfully dense. <laughs> <laughs>